Welcome to the Celebration Sessions with myself, Connor Clear. The Celebration Sessions is a podcast unpacking life, loss and love. As I step further into the world of celebrancy, I want to look at how we celebrate, how we fall in love, the milestones we mark and how we can talk about the inevitable loss we'll meet along the way. This is my exploration into the beauty of it all. It's a reminder of the positivity that can come from making the most of the important times. Above all, a reminder of how important it is now more than ever to celebrate. This is the Celebration Sessions podcast. Hello there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is that you're listening in. As always, uh, you're either with me for the first time or indeed you're back with me for another episode. Either way, I'm thrilled uh, that you hit that play button. Now, we're just going to jump straight in to this episode. Uh, We're delving into something I think is a very interesting area. Now, really with this podcast, I want to celebrate life. Okay, but if we talk about life... Uh, part of that discussion, obviously, then is is death because it, it is part of life. And as I said in my new little uh, generic introduction there at the start, uh, we need to talk about the beauty of it all. And today I want to explore one way, at least, uh, in which I think we might just be able to face those those final moments a bit more peacefully. And um, it's it's something that I think is coming that bit more into our collective consciousness. Now, you might be familiar with the concept of a doula, a companion during the birthing process. But today I want to learn more about companionship through those final days with the help of a death doula. So let's meet my guest today. Uh, Let's welcome fellow celebrant and ceremonialist, transpersonal psycho-spiritual therapist and end-of-life companion or death doula. Tanya Bryan. Tanya, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very grateful to be here today. Oh, well, listen, I'm very appreciative uh, that you've taken the time to join me today. Welcome to the celebration sessions. I think let's jump straight in. Um, I'd, I'd like to start really from the start to put this whole topic into into a context, really, by telling us, yes. I guess, what exactly is a death doula? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I'd say that people are probably most familiar with the idea of a birth doula or what we would, would call often a birth uh, midwife being somebody who companions uh, a woman who's preparing for birth and you know usually that will be somebody who's bridging the gap between the the person who's going through the pregnancy and perhaps the medical industry so it can often be somebody who's going to advocate on your behalf depending on your personality you might feel you need that or depending on your you know well your your cultural status which in your within your environment or you know when whether you've got somebody to support you or not. There's lots of reasons why people would take on a midwife. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, we are quite familiar in society about this, this, you know, this role, but maybe not, maybe not that popular in Ireland, you know, but certainly I would know people who have engaged uh, a birth doula. And a death doula is ultimately doing 
almost the same thing in ways, but you're dealing with the other end of the spectrum of life, you know. Right, right. So rather than the entry, you're dealing with the departure. Okay. Um, equally, you're advocating, you know, and it's equally as intimate in many ways uh, as a relationship, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, when we call it companionship, it is, ultimate, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's like having a companion in a way to witness you, you know, witness you in your journey. Yeah, in your journey. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then can I ask, because you've had such a varying career through like you said, advocacy, uh, support, reaching out, uh, giving different types of help and and therapy. And I think through this journey, and really an, an introspective journey as well, this journey of learning that you've experienced. So as you move into different capacities of working in grief and loss, in terms of themes and sentiments, were there overarching sentiments that, that, that people felt towards this inevitable finality that we're all facing i mean how people deal with this 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 well this theme of ending you know like uh, being alive and then this concept of not being alive you know it, it comes in all mm. shapes and sizes like some part of me um recognizes now that grief is a threshold you know and it, it allows emotions to come in you know it's i mean some people so, that we there's a few really big names out there at the moment that are doing wonderful work uh with grief and one would be francis weller and he talks about the five gates of grief he would talk about this idea that there's uh different types of grief there's grief for what we love um obviously we don't tend to grieve for what we can't acknowledge as lovable so you know that those parts of of ourselves or you know well mostly though we're that particular gate it's it's representative of the grief that we will experience in our lifetime around what we're going to lose you know a person close to us and a relationship even with an animal that we you know dearly cherish then he talks about the grief for what we never encountered within ourselves so that's like around the parts as i was speaking of that we have pushed down underground you know maybe uh, our own originality or um, parts of us that have been unresolved, you know, stuff that's been outside of our control or that um, parts of that, you know, were, were carved off. Um, right. And then he talks also about this, uh, the sorrows of the world, you know, so we've a, a wider grief that we can access. And often I'll see within the context of lament groups, people will start to access that grief because it, that is, you know, quite a vast space. It can be, that you know at the moment it's it's an unavoidable piece we're starting to see a daily litany of grief within that you know frame of 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 what's happening all around us you know now that we've got you know this experience of COVID happening the other gate that i had never really considered before uh which really came up within the space um and often i'll see within the context of meeting somebody in their process of acknowledging, um, you know, this losing life is uh, this grief around what we did. What we, and it's very hard to put words onto it. You know, it's almost nameless. It's what we might have expected, but never received, you know, almost like what our spirit aches for. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be, it, that can be, you know, something that it's, it, it's quite intimate a process to to meet somebody there, you know, because 
it doesn't really, as I say, have words that can frame it. And then we have, as I said, this other grief that I spoke of earlier, which is this idea of ancestral kind of uh, grief that we might have inherited some aspect of what was severed from us within the context of tradition and language and you know like this was vast emigration from 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 our land and what was lost to us around all of that you know what community uh has lost you know a sense of disconnection if you like you know right right um and so it's been really helpful to me to acknowledge those different types of grief within the context of the journey that I had doing, you know, support this as being the supportive facilitator in, in a lament grief group. Um, and then now, as I said, you know, uh, that I'm, I've moved into this new role of, of doula or a training or an apprentice, I really consider myself to be an apprentice end of life companion, you know, cause it's a, it's a fresh piece for me. Um, but, Ultimately, that has really supported me, you know, the, the, the understanding, that deeper understanding of conditioning and how we compress grief and all the, the, the multiplicity of grief, of grief, you know. Right. Multiplicity. I like that word. I will say that that is a new word for me. Um, and you, you describe yourself there as, as, as almost a, a, an apprentice. So as you step into this world of, of, of being a, a death doula, what shape then do you think those relationships can take? Because they are very personal and they're, they're, they're so intimate. You're with people in those, those final moments. So what do you think those relationships ca- can be like? Um, I think it's very personality, but it can be quite personality based to begin with, you know, it, it, and, and it also, again, depends on, you know, the rate of change or what's happening for the person, right. you know, whether they've got a, a longer process, you know, in order to work through uh, some of the emotional aspects or whether it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that they're very pressed for time, you know, that, that there needs to be more practical pieces put into place it also depends on again what not unlike what i said at the beginning around the um, reasons why somebody might take on a midwife it could be because they're very alone in their pregnancy they don't have a partner you know if you're dealing with somebody who's uh say later in their years and maybe they're feeling very isolated in the experience but they might also be losing their memory you know um you know there could be complications to it it's it's so there's so many different variations and also back to personality you know like if it is that somebody has uh, a particular way of seeing the world and has a particular belief system a particular doula that you know that that has that same belief might match um the 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 role you know might be more suitable so there can be uh, a very important point of, of finding the right match, I suppose. I always Indeed, say that, yeah, you know, yeah. if I if I would meet somebody that wants to do a process uh, around their end of life, that I would be very conscious of not just taking on a, a yeah, contract yeah, for yeah. the sake of it, you know, would really kind of need to feel that we resonated, which wouldn't be that dissimilar to the way I would approach a psychotherapeutic relationship, you know. Um, so yeah and as you journey with somebody again back to the rate of change you know if somebody has say a year left to live 
it can be a beautiful uh, witnessing that happens, you know, where they start to affirm themselves and, you know, they're preparing for death in, in a way that, that becomes quite profound, you know, and it, it actually it actually can enhance their life, you know, their living. They start to, to let go or, you know, resolve issues from the past. Not always, you know, there can be big resistances. Um, you know, you could, you could, I even, I heard somebody speak there recently, Stephen Levine, he wrote a book called A Year Left to Live, which is a, 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 another profound process that I went through where you address each day as if, you know, it's part of your 365 days that you have left on the planet. Um, so obviously there's an imagining that goes into that when you're not actually dying, but it's an exquisite way to look at your life. And it's not that dissimilar to how I would conduct a, a relationship with somebody who does have, you know, a sense of some time, uh, because we, no, no, none of us know what they would be our last. <laughs> this is true, you know? this is true, yeah. yeah when you yeah. start to open up to the reality of that and start to look at dying, uh, it, it really does have a way of... Um, as you said at the very beginning in the introduction, at, at, at improving or improving is probably not a, a very appropriate word. It, it, it has what I've witnessed, the uh, usually the, the outcome of really impressing upon somebody the preciousness of life, if you like. You know, there's a, a, a and there's a way that they go about completing their day that they wouldn't have maybe before. You know, there's this idea often you'll see that somebody stops wasting time, you know, doing things that are really not uh, serving them, you know, that they may be. And that can be very distressing at the beginning. You know, if they've, if they've come to a point in their life where they realized that, you know, they haven't maybe done the things that they would have liked to have done, you know, because they were always in service of other people. You'll often see that with the Irish mammy, you know, it, it can be, tra be tragic when somebody realizes, you know, like that, that they have, uh, you know, they've contained their expression to a point that it hasn't maybe allowed them to be as large as they could have been, you know, and let their spirit really speak. But then that can start to happen, you know, and it's it's a very beautiful process to witness, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it must be very beautiful to to, to see and experience that. And, and and you know, I think as a as a concept, it's something that I'd like to get out of this series of podcasts, really, because I think if we can just acknowledge it and maybe break down that taboo, for want of a better word, of of talking about grief and and loss and death and and our own individual mortalities and and I guess the inevitable finality that you know, that we can start to appreciate more what we have now what, while we're here. And, you know, we should acknowledge, discuss, mm -hmm. uh, and I guess cel celebrate that as well. Um, now, I did want to ask as well, obviously when you take on a relationship like that, I mean, and uh, even away from being a doula, even being a, in your capacity as a psychotherapist as well, when you've got your clients as well, you take on an awful lot from them. So you must have your own emotional boundaries you must pay great attention to to self-care do you yeah um, yeah very much so i mean when you're in the business of supporting people through transitions which is kind of ultimately what i i do you know um 
bear witness to people as they as they transition from one place to another you know and that might be life crisis in the psychotherapeutic work and this is this is you know the the bigger theme obviously the the transition from being a human being in a body you know and 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 living with the consequences of that which is this inevitability you know of coming to terms with not being alive um it's been such a huge teacher connor you know i'm very grateful for where i've arrived um but it, it is it, it's requiring a lot of self self care and i suppose as part of the training you know that uh, we we receive you know and alexander wilson is the is the woman who delivers that training under the red tent um it's a cic organization that came out of the birth doula community in the uk and she she lives in wales now she delivers that training in such a uh, an exquisite spiritual way you know it's and it's very it's very much about the personal at the beginning you know you're you're encouraged to take at least a year minimum to work through your own sense of mortality you know and you have and, and you know part of of that is also where's your self-care at are you going to be able to can you know to hold this and um and and you know looking at your own shadow work and and what what what's your own relationship to fear of dying you know because there can be a tendency uh, you know and i saw this a lot within the therapeutic industry for people to embody that role where they're not taking care of business themselves you know they might do while they're training but then they get caught up in a whirlwind of being uh the helper the carer you know it's sort of like this wounded healer um and uh and not you know and then maybe going home and having the glass of wine you know you know watching a bit of coronation street to try and forget those problems that people have told you about and i understand that you know it's not a judgment i was that person but you cannot go into the role of healer and i'm sure you know this connor you know from the work that you do and, and I, I had to look at your website and it's it's yeah. I mean, the subtlety yeah. to the way you present yourself, you know, tells me that you have an understanding of what I'm speaking of. But, well, uh, you know, you. it's yeah. just mm, it's just, a, you you know, really self-care needs to be a primary thing. And it can be isolating in that regard because not everybody gets it, you know, uh, because you, when you start to, to see life this way, when you start to understand how precious it precious it is it's a yeah, huge gift because you really treat every day i do now you know uh, as um uh, you know as something that i'm not prepared to waste and not in this sort of oh push myself to get things done you know more in a moment to moment addressing how i am in yes. my body it's a very embodied way of being you know there's a beingness to it yes because i i think as well it has to be conscious I think it has to be a, a conscious, active thing that you do. So just having a glass of wine and watching Coronation Street, trying to forget about it and switching off, that's not the answer. And, and I guess as well, that goes for, for anyone struggling through this pandemic and struggling with restrictions at the moment. It's not about just switching off and binging on a box set. It's about actually, actively, consciously giving this space in, in your life. Well, maybe I could ask you a question. Oh, I wonder, you know, please do, yeah. You know, if I were to to address that point, you know, when we're living in a flatline culture, and we do, you know, tend to depend on external gratification in times like this, in times of stress, you know, we turn our back to discomfort, and that would be one part of, you know, my role is to 
help somebody lean into discomfort, which isn't an easy task. But what would you say is the primary reason for why we're, you know, I mean, I can see that the collectively, you know, a lot of people are hiding at the moment. You know, what would you say is going on? Oh, um, I think it, I think anyway, it is a fear to, to face up to the reality of, of where we are and an inability as well to, to really to, to really accept the reality of, of where we are as well because mm-hmm. what would it be for us to do that well ultimately I guess it requires a conscious introspective journey and, and thought process to weigh up and often for example when friends come to me with issues or if they're overwhelmed by, by anything I'll always just say stop Mm-hmm. plant your feet into the ground and breathe you've got this you know this is fine you, you just remind yourself that you're here you're breathing you're safe and you can deal with most of what life can throw mm-hmm. at you and, and I think it just takes those little moments of planting your feet breathing mm-hmm. reminding yourself that you're here you're breathing you're safe and you've you've got this yeah, and that would be, I would see, a skill, you know, like that you can develop over time. And it's certainly something that, you know, uh, when we're like that, putting ourselves out there in the front line or to try and, ha- you know, create narrative around topics like this, like uh, like I'm doing today, because it's nerve wracking for me to talk, oh. you know, on media. You know, it's not <laughs> something that I, I'm massively comfortable with, but I'm learning to do it partly because, you know, as I said to you, it's like a teacher in a way, you know, Um but really, when you pare it all down, I think what's at the core of a lot of the reasons why we're distracting is is love. You know, self-love is missing. Our right, self-esteem right. is very low. Um, and we're, as I said, living in this time where external gratification has become the norm. And, you know, we, we, we had all sorts of ways of, of getting that ourselves, you know, gratification uh, when we weren't locked down you know and we didn't maybe have to look at our relationship to the self or even our relationship to others you know because we could jump from one thing to the other so you know this this coronavirus you know as much as uh, people have really experienced such suffering such grief discomfort all of that that goes with it I don't want to you know suggest or minimize that it hasn't been a huge problem for us you know on many levels many many levels but I think really you know and I might get some you know some some fire back about saying this but it's been it it, in itself you know it it can be addressed as as a dying of sorts you know because if we allow ourselves not to use uh, you know, self-soothing in the way that we're uh, used to or have been trained or conditioned to. If we if we take time out enough to sit with the fears, that in itself can be a way to address or train yourself for dying. And that's you know, that's something that's not that popular as uh, as a suggestion. You know, when you put that out there. But even with my friends, you know, who know the work that I do, like the the amount of people, Connor, who like you know have great intentions of at least planning what they might like to happen when they pass. You know, not even addressing the emotional part that you know is about what happens in between, but just the practicals. You know, I try and do the practical part with people, but that in itself is 
is massively revealing, you know. If I could just actually take time now that I'm at that point to just plug, um, you know, there's there's a you know there's a really lovely process uh, that's um, uh, really useful, I think, because it does start to to allow people to wonder about. Um, you know what what they might need to think about towards the end because there can be so many complications we have ideas that we're going to maybe you know we, we, we hope that we might pass in our sleep you know be lovely it's a lovely way perhaps you know to go um, but you know uh, the likelihood of that is quite small so there's this let me decide health and personal care directive that's been written by a doctor William um, Malloy um, from Cork and I have a friend who's hopefully going to be um, addressing the training in that and you can go online and you can order one of the books um, I would as a doula though you know often help people get through that book because you know it's a lot about making decisions about what what would happen if you became unwell and you were no longer in a position to uh, speak um, about you know the choices that you would like you know the acceptability or quality of life you know anything from you know see no CPR CPR you know tube feeding no tube feeding stuff that's very uncomfortable to think about you know um, of course, mm-hmm. and we're here talking about the the mm-hmm. emotional weight mm-hmm. of facing mm-hmm. the end, but there's a logistical side to it as well. Massive, you know, and I mean, that's part of what I've done, you know, in my own end of life preparing and planning. And that's like a huge part of becoming a midwife, you know, uh, an end of life companion is that, you, you know, you really can't avoid looking at, OK, I, I've, I've got to plan my own, you know, and I've moved through all of those different techniques. There's another one in the UK. Um, a woman called Jane Duncan, who lost her husband, has written a very thoughtful process that people can follow. Um, which okay, it's a bit, it's a, it's not, it's not quite our culture. It's UK based, so some of the things might not resonate. But it's even looking at things like, you know, stuff that people don't think about, which is like, you know, does my partner know my Facebook password so I can take down my, you know, she can take they, you know, they, he, she, them can take the profile down. You know, do they know? Do they know what bank? Uh, you know security box I've been using with all of the paperwork you know stuff and then great intentions and like it's back to what we were talking about when I asked you the question is like what are we avoiding you know when we were sort of like sitting up you know sitting up at night with our feet on, on the table with the glass of wine in the hand and binging through uh, the Netflix programs you know when we could be maybe carving out more appropriate ways of looking at you know using our time and i'm not saying that you know everybody has to sit down and plan their end of life every night now instead of uh, you know entertaining themselves but it's you know just i feel that what's lacking a lot of the time is this um oh i guess it's a you know a determination or a resilience you know that can that can come up for people when they start to realize that we're limited you know and that's part of the issue is that we've lost our sense of limitation you know we were very much accustomed to the idea that life was cyclical you know in 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 olden days you know i suppose we saw death around us when we were in smaller communities and we didn't have as much fear of it. And we also, we appreciated the dark mm-hmm. as a predecessor to the, the light, you know. And I think t- to be fair, I think we, and, and previous generations, we were brought up with this sense of taboo around talking about death and loss and we've always shied away from it. And so I think now, I think still for many people, the thought of, talking about it can actually be quite daunting and so it is a big step for a lot of people mm-hmm. to to um 
to 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 start to move into talking about this this area. Now, can I just ask as we start to to move towards the end? Do you, in fact, see any changing attitudes in Ireland towards towards talking about death? I, I do. I think that especially from the last couple of months of what's happened, there's been a deeper or wider interest in what what we're doing uh, as a new community. I mentioned to you before we, we started today's program that there's a, a new collective called uh, deathdoula.ie that's coming up Um in the spring that I'll be part of, which is going to be like a database of all the different people that are willing to offer alternative services. Um, and that can be that some of them are like yourself and myself, celebrants. Um, I'm only recently trained as a celebrant, but um, some people are already working in hospice. You know, we've got a wide range of people coming to train. And I think, you know, when I receive the introductions and then have conversations with the type of people that are coming to train as midwives, end of life midwives, it can often be that they're already working in the capacity of death and dying, maybe in the medical care system or the social, like me, you know, have a history of social care or that they've been a celebrant and they're recognizing this real restriction that people have around them, their their accessibility to grief and you know that the the role of a celebrant can often start to kind of really take a different shape um and so you know yeah you've got all these people turning up going holy shit like you know there's got to be a better way to look at um i suppose bringing death back into the community and also bringing it the narrative of of dying back into our our, our our normal dialogue, you know, it's like, and you talked about death cafes, you know, that that would be one phenomenon that's really useful, and it's getting quite familiar for people to to go to a death cafe in yeah. other cultures, maybe in, in you know, huge in the states, but we've got four cafes running in Ireland that you know, okay, are, have gone online now recently. Yeah. But yeah, joining the death cafes are fascinating, yeah. and and I think and you mentioned community there as well, just trying to find that way to to rework community back into it because I think that's I mean that's what I'm really nervous about the, the, the funeral landscape of Ireland it's it's been such a rich tradition where it's very community based in it was certainly in the moment of grief those few days after the initial loss that funeral process and and the community pulling together and obviously that's tricky to do right now but I just hope as we settle back into whatever this new normal becomes mm-hmm. that hopefully we can find a way of of reworking the community back into it because I think it's such a, an important part of of dealing with that with that gut punch that we feel when when we um when we experience loss. Um, that said, um, Tanya, I have taken lots of your time today, so I will I will let you go. But thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very appreciative. Oh, it was a wonderful experience. Well, listen, thank you so much uh, for sharing your time, uh, not just with me, but with the listeners as well. I know I, I, I certainly found it uh, fascinating, so I got an awful lot out of it. Um, uh, so look, you can find out more about Tanya at atimetogether.ie. And tell us then about the collective as well, Tanya, death, uh, deathdoula.ie. Yeah, deathdoula.ie will be launched hopefully the early spring. And like that, people will be able to access a directory of end of life companions that will be available to, you know, take on a, on an, on in whatever capacity, whatever that contract might look like. Um, yeah, so 
jula.ie and then like that I suppose you mentioned death cafes and you can probably put a link up for your listeners is uh, you know there's a larger uh, a kind of a website I think it's deathcafe.org is it Connor I think maybe it, it is exactly yeah deathcafe.org that's it yeah and, and maybe you know maybe just for 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 the sake of doing something different some you know somebody might decide to jump on one of those com you know because it's a very easy going chat it's like how do i learn to chat about death you know so going on a cafe online might be the the first step for somebody might take around that you know yeah Uh, and because they're so casual they're just such relaxed environments to discuss the end of life Mm -hmm. and as i i mentioned about how just how daunting Mm -hmm. it can be to just start uh, a conversation to to step Mm -hmm. through those cultural walls that have been put up around the the topic of of death And, and really what's great about death cafes is they give you the vocabulary i think and it arms you with the language as well which helps i guess demystify demystify the topic um so listen tanya i i I hope we get to cross paths uh in the future um i'm wishing you all the best but in the meantime thank you once again thank you connor and to you the listener thank you for joining me for this episode i hope you got lots out of that please do get in touch on the celebration sessions podcast instagram page Page. Until the next time, look after yourself, take care, and stay safe. This has been the Celebration Sessions. Mm-hmm.